Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and today we're going to be having a chat with Reed Larson. Reed, welcome. Hey, good to be here. It's an honor for me to have you. I'm a fellow Roosevelt High School graduate. Uh, a couple of years after you got out of there, uh, I was able to watch your career and follow you and lucky enough to have met your father as well uh, in my bowling exploits in another lifetime. And uh, it's a real honor to have you on board today. Thank you very much. Weren't you guys in a movie, Kingpin? This is all the movie Kingpin with Bill Murray. Remember that? Not oh, to get yeah. off track, but uh, and ran, but and, and I told my dad, you got to see this movie because he was a big bowler, you know. So he oh, says, yeah. I said it's really good about bowling. So he went and he came back, and I always remember you guys. He says. I don't think that's very funny. He goes, I said, did you like the movie? He said, no. He said, they made fun. Well, that's all pretty good. But anyways, let's move oh, on. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. Can you uh, fill us in a little bit and our listeners on your start in hockey? I noticed that uh, you played for Sibak, which was a rival of MFAC, who I played for. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit how you got your start in hockey and who introduced you to the sport of hockey. You know, I got to be honest. Um, before I even got to Sibley Park or Sibak and Hiawatha, I think my mom and dad, well, I know that my mom and dad put me on a sled in a box and I was probably two years old down on Lake Nokomisia in a small bay, uh, uh, on the West side of the bridge. You could have that warming house. You could skate when the, that side froze over. So they, they started pulling me in a sled in the box and then they got some strap on skates and I kind of would stand around on those. And then when I started going down to Sibley Park, you know, you'd bring your skates over a stick over your shoulder, and the big kids were on the ice rink. We'd had to go out and play pom-pom pull-away. I don't know if you remember that game, but on the they'd flood the football field. And, uh, had, of course, had the warming house, and we'd go out and play tag or pom-pom pull-away. And then when the big kids were done, we'd try to get in on the on the rink there. So, yeah, like I say, we're, we'd pack a lunch, and we'd go at probably – eight nine in the morning on saturday and not come home till six at night so it's pretty funny those were those were the days and now if you talk to a kid and tell them that they have to walk to the outdoor rink and they have to sit in a snowbank and put their skates on they look at you like you're from outer space yeah or you kind of worry about your kid that's 10 12 13 years old all day long somewhere you know at a park i suppose not not the greatest either anymore you know what i mean yeah Back it's then, a it didn't seem different. to matter you know. Different world than what you and I grew up in, uh, unfortunately. Some good, some bad. Yeah, that's for sure. Yep, yep. Uh, you're you're a graduate of Roosevelt High School. How many years did you play on the varsity team? Uh, three years. Uh, I played bantams as a 14-year-old in ninth grade for Bob Turner. I don't know if you remember Robert or Bob Turner. He, uh, St. Paul, Washington high school coach. And then when he got a little older, he started to do the Wee's Cubs bantams and so forth in this in the roosevelt area so sure the the, the gentlemen the brothers had... were my other coaches yeah oh, i'm sorry who steve do you remember steve hall the hall they play at the u they were older and uh I, like we always say the high school varsity when those kids were done they would coach some peewees they'd have their practice okay. and there's steve dan hall and court was corky one of three or one four of the hall brothers well, Corky was a Corky Hall, but not related. Now, that was kind of okay. over in the Lake Hiawatha area where the Hall brothers lived by me by Standard School. And they were okay. older than, 
And yeah, and uh, the one Steve Hall played at the University of Minnesota too. So, okay. And who was your biggest rival? Was Southwest uh, the the rival, or would it yeah. have been Washburn? Okay. Well, Washburn and South got to be pretty good rivals uh, when I played, but not as big as Southwest. So okay. it seemed to be we could handle all the other teams, but Southwest. You know what I mean? They were good games. Don't get me wrong. And yep. every once in a while, you might, you know, have. But usually, it was we, you know, we were neck and neck with Southwest. You know, and then and then the playoffs. Like one year, we I remember my junior year, we were ten and zero or whatever. We won the city and were favored, and we had two or three injuries, and we lost in the final game to Southwest my junior year. And then my senior year, we had to beat South in the to go to the state tournament. So, but uh, you know, back then, like you said, there was West was pretty good at the time, and. South was coming up, but like you say, Southwest, Washburn, uh, Henry could be pretty good too. Remember Sheridan and and some of those guys. So there's yeah. about half a dozen good, pretty good teams. So would Dave Peterson have been coaching at Southwest at that time? Yes, he was. He yeah. certainly was coaching. Yep. Yeah, yep. there was a, a, and a lot Baxter of Baxter was the coach at West. Yeah. yeah. The drill sergeant Baxter was the coach <laughs> of West. <laughs> he used to scrimmage with his players, and we used to watch when they were on the ice before us down at the old Minneapolis Auditorium. And I can remember him chopping his players. <laughs> I mean, he was really big, strong guy and playing against high school kids. And if they, you know, he was pretty rough on them. I mean, we couldn't believe it. So it's pretty interesting. Well, and back when you played, there probably wasn't an abundance of ice rinks. Uh, even like when I played a uh, half a dozen years later um, in that was Augsburg. Did you guys play any games down at Augsburg or any practices down there or was no, it the, the convention center? No, we didn't. No, it was, it was downtown at the Minneapolis auditorium. Okay. And then the North stars would donate ice to the every once in a while. So we'd come on after they practice out at the Met sports center. We were all excited and, you know, for a whole course of the winter, we might have six practices out there. You know what I mean? But they don't yep. donate some ice time, you know. And then it was Hiawatha uh, Outdoors by Lake Hiawatha, Hiawatha Golf Course. Yeah. Um, and some, oh, and Breck. Remember the old Breck oh, yeah. on the river uh, with the <laughs> before, open sides? And, before yeah. it became Minnehaha Academy where they had the canvas sides. And I was just on a podcast last week and... I uh, was telling, I said it was colder in that rink than it was outside. It was just. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, I it, don't know what it was, but it was. And the boards they had there, I remember being a kid trying to get over the top of the boards. And I swear the boards were like eight foot tall so that they could build the ice up. And then the yeah, season like, would last. Like would the last Golden Valley Ice Center. Yeah. 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 It, it was, I call it the Roman Coliseum out at the Golden Valley Ice Center. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now that's a shopping center now out there off of uh, Highway 12. It's uh, no, Nothing's yeah. the same. Nothing's the same. No. What, but that break, what was, though, we used to remember Shepard. Uh, Shepard played and and uh, Cardiac Jack Bladowak. They call him Cardiac Jack. He he was kind of like Herbie Brooks. He was getting every. He was back then doing that conditioning and off ice stuff when it just got was getting started. So the nickname was Cardiac Jack, and he was coaching Breck. So Bucky Freeberg was our coach at the you know Roosevelt. So we'd do a lot of scrimmaging or games, extra games against them down at Breck. So. Yeah. What was it like playing for Bucky? Because he had you, and then uh, four years later, he got Mike Ramsey. So 
two of the best U.S. born defensemen in history uh, to play in the NHL. To well, thank play you. Any <laughs> kind of true, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know what? He, he he was kind of low keyed. I thought he knew the game well. He just I don't know if uh, he was. I mean, he was a great coach for me. I think we had a few guys that would get off track a little bit as far as discipline for off ice activities. <laughs> and uh, you know, Bucky was just such a nice guy and he was really good, uh, you know, good coach and knowledgeable. But he probably let a few guys off the hook that should have probably had a little disciplinary action. I think, and that's where we got into a little trouble. I think we were very good and we did make it to the state high school tournament, but, but I do believe we were a team that could have been better and it wasn't Bucky's fault. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you gotta, you know, sometimes you can kick players off teams or discipline them and whatever in certain ways. But I think for us, we had the talent, but we were, we were just a little in, a little in disarray and that, that's not the, nothing to negative towards Bucky at all. I just felt bad for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Hard, you know, hard you to know. control 18 young, uh, racehorses when they want yeah. to go out and party. And back in that era, yeah. that was a, a different time of the world too. Right. So. You know, and, and at that time we were rated the only team really that I can think of that, you know, you know, we probably couldn't beat, you know, two out of three. We might win one out of three or one out of four was Edina East. They went undefeated that year. 1974, they won the state high school tournament. You know, Willard, of course, was a college coach in high school. I think there yep. were a couple of guys like that, like Gus Hendrickson up in Grand Rapids at the time. But, but uh, yeah, that team was pretty loaded, pretty well coached, you know, loaded, you know, very disciplined and, uh, you know, did a great job. So that, that we lost three to one out of Braemar, but after that, I don't know if there's anybody else that we couldn't beat, you know, in the state. So. Sure. Now you played down at the auditorium. Do you remember watching the old Zamboni that was down there with the paddle and chain, uh, taking the snow yeah. under the bin? Yep. Yep. That, I sure that, do. That, that machine's kind of interesting in that we took that, I've taken that machine in trade twice. It was sold originally up to a rink up in North Dakota. And then the, after that, I took it in trade again and it's now up in Alaska somewhere. I don't know if it's still running, but, I, a lot of people enjoyed watching those machines with the paddle and chain carrying the snow up into the bin. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty funny how the old Zambonis are pretty interesting what they use. And then I remember going over and sneaking into the Gopher games as a kid, you know, like 10, 12 years old. And that the Zamboni, one of those, they used to have those paddle ones over there, right? And yep. this would have been, you know, oh, probably 1968 to 70, right in there. But when the theirs broke down, then they came out with the push deals where they had the hot water in the, the canvas things that hung down. Yep. and Like the, 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 the water, water tanks. tanks. Water tanks with the towel yeah. that they would pull and spread the water. And that's that Madison Square Gardens. You're not old enough to uh, have played there, but they were the, well, I mean, not to play there when they were using the uh, push carts. Uh, they were the last team to go to a Zamboni machine in the NHL, and that happened, I believe, in 1969. So um, just a few uh, years before you got to the, the show, they were still having guys out there with shovels and uh, spreading water. That's that's funny because, you know, that Madison Square Garden, that ice would chip out when you play in the Madison Square Garden. They, they do so many different things and so many shows and yeah, I remember walking up the ramp. It's the, the ice rink is on the eighth floor or something like that, eleventh yeah. floor. The arena was, and yeah, and that ice would chip out so easy, right down to the cement. You know, pretty crazy. So. They had their ice in and out so many yeah. times because back then, when they had the circus come to town, or they would have different things, they'd take the ice out and put it back in. And uh, a lot of times, they were yeah. skating on green ice. So 
Yeah, Reed, yeah, it was bad. You made it to the state hockey tournament, which was – I was lucky enough uh, when I was a sophomore at Roosevelt, uh, Mike Ramsey's team made it. And I think one of your relatives was part of that defense of the, the team that skated in 78 and unfortunately lost to uh, Edina on a late, late goal. Um, what was it like for you? What was your experience at the state tournament? I, and I, I'm going to expand into that a little bit because I know that you guys got hosed on a shot that you took that went through the net and the referees, sometimes as they are, needed their white canes out there and they missed a goal that you scored that would have won the game for Roosevelt. Can you tell us about your experience? Yeah, there was, yeah we were, you know, it's funny because we you know, finally got to the state tournament and we uh we got we had to, we got lined up with Grand Rapids the first game. And they were a younger team cuz they actually won the state high school tournament the next year. And uh so we played them in the first round and I remember it was into overtime, but during the game I, I came across a blue line shot up one from the blue line and I can't remember if it went through the net or if they called it off sides and it wasn't. And I can't exactly remember. But anyways, we had to go into and do overtime and they uh they won on a face off uh draw back and it was just one of those shots and i think that we outshot them like 42 to 17 or something like that but but they were a very good team with a good goalie and then i think jetland or whatever was the nets and then the next year they actually won the uh state tournament so pretty cool yeah Billy Baker, Billy Baker and Matson was on that team. Remember those guys? Rothstein, Johnny Rothstein, Matson, Danny Matson, Donnie Matson. There, so, there is a there is players. a bunch of guys that uh, I took a look back through the the teams and uh, and was it uh, Micheletti? One of the Micheletti's I think was um, was up there. Uh, not with yeah. Rapids, I don't think, but uh, one of the teams. It's it, it's back then and it's kind of hard to explain to people who um not necessarily minnesota hockey fans but the state high school hockey tournament was incredible and um eichler had one of his kids on the edina team craig norwich played on that team and, and i wanted to ask you is dave finks was that the son of uh, jim finks who was the former uh, viking executive was yeah if, yeah yeah yeah, okay. the, yeah, he died in high school. You know, I had Nyrop, you know, Bill Nyrop that played for Montreal. I played at Notre Dame, and he, he died, of course, of cancer. Great guy. And uh, they, his dad was a big guy with, was it Northwest Airlines at the time or something? Yeah, yeah he was so a they pilot. Used to fly the team around. Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. And then they had Finks. Yeah, they, and Icola was, you know, a great coach. So, I mean, they, what a factory. That's a, and now, you know, Kurt Giles has done a great job, too. So, oh, yeah. Well, they had a kid quite on there, quite an area. Steve. Steve Nichols, who was the son of a, a guy that my dad went to school with, he went to Minneapolis West a, 112 years ago, and um, Steve was always another guy that when when I was a kid, being a hockey geek, I would follow the the players. And there was a, a couple on your team. Is Doug Johnson? Um, would he be yep. the Doug Johnson that uh, had Let's Play Hockey magazine afterwards? Yeah, yeah, he was one of our defensemen. Yep, Dougie was okay. And one of our defensemen, he liked to hit, you know, kind of a rugged, liked to hit. And uh, we had, you know, I think Brian Young passed away, but we had, oh, Billy Powers and Mel Chesedix and Catterlick, Steve Catterlick on defense, Mike Kanoki on defense, Dick did, Bain was our goalie. Did Kanoki, was that the same Kanoki that uh, ended up being a ref in the WCHA or was that a different one? 
boy, I don't know. I don't Do think recall? Mike was a ref in the WCHA. I don't recall that one. I know no. Mike played at the U. He played at Colorado okay. College with uh, Mike Riley, and then they transferred over to the U and uh, okay. finished off there with Buto was the coach. It was Mike Kanoki. Um, so there was I'm trying to think who else was uh, guys that might have, you know. Well, Bruce uh, Bailey. Dick Bain uh, played, played at Augsburg. Yeah, Bruce yeah. Bailey, yep, yep. He played My with cousin you. Wayne Larson. Okay, I was going to ask if that was yeah. a, if that was related. And was Bruce Hendrickson is he related to Darby yep. or is that a different? Okay, so is that his father? No, not related. Nope. nope. Henry, okay. we call him Henry. Bruce Hendrickson. Uh, Bruce Hendrickson's played. He went to Roseville, but not related not in any way. Okay. Nope. And okay. uh, so that, yeah, it was Randy Pedic, Bruce Hendrickson. I mean, it was there was a, you know we we had kind of grown up. You know, the good thing is we, it's one of those deals like Edina where you've kind of grown up since Bannums and so forth, you know. So all together, Pee Wee's Bannums in high school. I don't know if that how often that happens anymore, but it it, uh, helps, it, it, you know? it doesn't. And that's the thing I try. I've got a nephew who's got a son who's a pretty good hockey player in Roseville, and he's been off at uh, uh, Minnesota Maid over in Edina uh, playing for them, and he's gone to Russia and he's gone to Canada. And I just tell him, I go, look, you get one chance to grow up, and you'll always have your friends uh all from high school you know most of those guys if you play sports you'll stay together and uh that's something yeah. you can't put a price tag on in my opinion but right um right you, you went from roosevelt uh and the u uh was smart enough to offer you a scholarship and uh have you play there can you fill us in on your years and what it was like uh playing for herbie yeah you know what we all kind of live for the gophers you know i mean there was other schools that were interested and i Thank, very thankful for that and respectful, you know, Michigan State, Amo Bassoni and Rube Bjorkman and Gino Gasparini were up at North Dakota and Duluth was interested and Wisconsin, Bob Johnson. And then Jeff Sauer was out of Colorado, uh, Notre Dame coach. I can't remember who was coaching Notre Dame at the time. But, you know, there was some good spots that I could have would have been fine to go to. But, you know, when you get that letter with the raised gold M on it and Herbie was coaching, you know, and you kind of grow up watching the Gophers. So that was kind of your first love. And so I know he was after Craig Norwich and Robin Larson, too, at the same time. So um, I really probably wasn't rated as high as those guys for being, but I did. He was still recruiting me. And uh, I don't know, because this came to pass and I was offered a scholarship and I was pumped to go over there. And uh, like I said, they. He was had a Herb had a sprinkle a mix, you know, from northern and and kids and the city kids. So, I I think he's ahead of his time and mastermind exact for uh, putting personalities together along with you know making you skate till the cows come home, so to speak. You know, you're in the best shape. Of, you know, I was probably in the best shape of my life playing for Herbie Brooks, and he was a great motivator. Uh, you know, playing for your school and your state and your town and and so forth, and I, I just think uh, he was mixing in a little European flavor at the time from the Russians and Europe, Sweden, and so forth, you know, where you just didn't dump it in a chase. You kind of puck possession was a big thing and regroup. He didn't holler at you if you didn't dump it in and you wanted to regroup and come at him again, where a lot of coaches, you know, were pretty old-fashioned that way. So um, I think he was just on the, the word, you know, the cusp, I want to say, of that that European mix with North America. We were still physical and, and played hard, but 
Um, there was a, several days he'd set aside for practice where it was a lot of three-on-three, four-on-four power play and specialty unit um, that maybe him and maybe I'll say Bob Johnson is a, you know, love the power play work on that too. But uh, he had a lot of different uh, coaching techniques. Uh, and the other thing was, you know, I think a lot of coaches, when you got to your college level, figured that you really couldn't work on your skating. Uh, you were there as a finished product. And with Herbie, you know, your crossovers, forward, backwards, your edges, your balance. I mean, he was, you know, it's almost like you're kind of learning to skate all over again at times. And, I, boy, I, I just can't credit him enough for me moving on to the pros um, as far as getting you ready both mentally and physically. So. I just, uh, I, I love the 80 Olympic guys, you know, talking with you guys. The 80 gold medal team was the young guys. Boys against men when they won the gold was incredible. And I, all of them were great players and had great careers, but they wouldn't have done it without Herbie. Uh, yeah. He did, he took a different approach. So he, it's, it, to me, Reed, that was the greatest event in my lifetime. And it's something that, I any chance I get to have a discussion about that with our fellow workers, uh, they know it's coming when I when I bring that up. Now, <laughs> well, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but oh, I just not, wanted not, to say not at all, not at all. Yeah, okay, great. I just wanted to say one one thing was when what Herbie did different from just about all the other Olympic coaches is he didn't take three months or four months and just throw the team together and play some games against same level teams or, you know, competition that was maybe same or below. He, his team for a whole year traveled and played anybody older, better that would play them. That would, you know, whether it's an NHL, WHA, minor league, European, Russians, you name it, they would play anybody and everybody. It's like, can we play a, you know what I mean? And he didn't care. It wasn't about what the score was at the time or the outcome. You know, of course they, you know, coached and played to win. Of course you do. But but I'm, what I'm saying is they, they took a beating. They were together for a whole year, and they paid the price, and they worked hard. He put them through unbelievable times. And uh, I bet you, you know, when you're talking to me about just my short time playing for him at the U, two and a half years, I can tell you lots of stories that he did that where most of them were good. Or you look back, it's kind of like your dad, but, you know, and he's kind of disciplined. You're, at the time, you're not too happy with it. But later you look back and say, yeah, that was that was the good, right thing to do. And with Herbie, it's it's the same thing. It's uh, he took he took a he took putty or whatever, Play-Doh and molded it. And and we looked like a bunch of pirates, our national title team over at the Mariucci Arena. And uh, of course, the guys for the Olympics, I mean, that's when you look at their age and at the time, and I love them dearly. And they, Davey Christian and Neil Broughton and Pavlich and Billy Baker and Mike Ramsey and, and uh, the uh, big guy, defenseman for the Islanders. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Morrow. His name's the, Kenny, Kenny Morrow and, you know, and, and uh, Mark Johnson. I mean, you can go on and on and on. And, and Davey played – Davey Christian, who grew up playing forward and played forward in the NHL, he played defense against those Russians in the Olympic tournament. I mean, how many guys do that? So there's a lot of great stories. But, like, again, Herbie, Herbie deserves all, a lot of that credit. So I was lucky enough to have met him on multiple occasions. I was lucky enough to watch that team at the Met through my dad's connections when uh, he 
he had already left the Met, but um, we went and saw a bunch of the games when they were playing the Central Hockey League teams and had Herbie as a hockey instructor at a couple of hockey camps. One of them was the Ken Yackel hockey camp down in, uh, at Shattuck oh, and yeah. Faribault. Faribault. So it just, he, I, I looked at him and he was a master psychologist. And I was just talking about it yesterday with my stepdaughter, who's a, a soccer coach, and she's a very talented young lady. And I told her, I said, Herb, you need to read a little bit about Herb Brooks because he knew when somebody needed a kick in the pants or somebody needed a pat on the pants. Uh, and right. he just knew what button it took to, to push to get them to be the best. And it's, it's great to hear your take on it, on what he was like as a college coach, because it's, it's a different, back then it was a different era, obviously but what he could do and what he got you to do and maybe attention to detail like John Wooden, I think. Uh, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but maybe, maybe it is. And it, it was great. He, yeah, he, he was, was a great successful. Was UCLA guy. Yeah. 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 So you, very were you on the team then in 76 that won the, won the title? Yeah. You know, it was really funny because my, I was lucky my freshman year, I remember we were playing, Michigan State on the road to start off in my freshman year, and I I didn't suit up the very the Friday night game. You know, you play Friday Saturday on the road, and and it's funny because I always remember I watched the first game and we lost, so he suited me for the Saturday night game, and I got a goal and an assist, and we won. You know, and I and then from then on I I played the rest of the way, and and so that year we were rated number one pretty much by the halfway through the year quarter of the way through the year all the way out and uh rated first in the nation and we met michigan tech who the gophers the year before i got there my senior year in high school the gophers beat um, michigan tech john mcginnis was the coach in boston for the first national title for the gophers and that was 74 then 75 uh when we met in st louis we lost to Michigan Tech. That was my freshman year when we were rated first all year, and we beat Harvard. We had Russ Anderson and Paul Holmgren, and we had you know less, a bunch of guys, but uh, less OJ and so forth. Joey Micheletti, Vanelli, Pippen, trying to think of all the rest of them. Buzzy Schneider, Mike Polich. Yeah, we lost to Tech down there, and Steve Jensen was playing for Tech, and Paul Jensen, and and uh, anyways, then my my sophomore year. Who do we meet for the third year in a row out in Denver? Michigan Tech. We had that Michigan State game in Michigan State. They won the league. It was triple overtime and on a Saturday. It was a two-game total goal uh, series. And on Saturday, the game started at 1, 1 p.m. and ended at about 7.45 or something like that at night. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But we ended up meeting Michigan Tech again in the final game, and we beat them. So, um so I would say 74, 75, 76. Yeah. Three years in a row was Minnesota, Michigan Tech final for the national championship. That's pretty amazing. Now, did you uh, participate in any of the alleged bad blood there was between uh, BU and uh, the University of Minnesota? Or was that yeah. uh, either before? Yeah, or in Denver, and in, in, in Denver, we had that brawl with uh, – Oh, was it Parker? Was he the one you know, out in Denver? We had a brawl where like Jimmy Boo and Russ Anderson were kicked out and our trainer was going at it with their trainer and the benches were going at it and kind of had a, a melee or whatever you call it out there. And in Denver, a, dis- for a the, disagreement of sorts. <laughs> yeah, a disagreement. That was that was the semi 
semifinal game, of course, of the first game. There's four teams out there. And I believe it was Brown, Boston, U, Michigan Tech, and us. I think that's who it was. And, uh, in the book that Mike Billy, do, do you remember Billy Gilligan? Do you remember the name I Billy do, Gilligan or something like that? I don't remember yeah. that name. I they don't remember for, that I name. Think it was Brown. I want to say Brown was the other school. He was their. He was a great player. He's kind of a one-man team. That guy was amazing. But anyway, so I think uh, Tech beat them, and and then we beat BU, and then we and then we met in the final game. So pretty interesting. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome. And it's like uh, The Making of a Miracle is a book that uh, Ruzioni did. And I've been lucky enough to meet him on a couple occasions. And uh, you want to get his blood boiling. All you have to do is say, so what's it like to lose to the Midwest boys all the time? Uh, and he's still... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he doesn't like it. You know, Herbie, you know, I, I would have liked to have known... Because, you know, he won another... No, he won three in a row. Uh, he won three... Well, two out of three there, and then he won one with Broughton and those guys. Was that 78? Yeah, 79. It was 74, 76, 79. Or 79. Yeah. That's what it was. Okay. But I just wonder, you know, if he would have kept going. You know, he went to the Olympics and won the gold, of course, and that's better. But I just, boy, he had it, he had it pretty locked in there. It would have been tough to knock him because those are a lot of good players coming up, too, you know, and you know, they we started losing some to other schools, obviously, but uh, just would have been interesting scenario if he stayed there another twenty years. <laughs> How many years yeah. did he end up coaching at the U? Seven years or? What I was don't it? know what what think? year Eight he years? came came on board, but he um, he was there. He, he, his last year was seventy nine when he um, won the title, and then they won again. Um, 2002, yeah. 2003 wasn't, that was the next time. Not, you know, they had Doug Woog as a coach and I, I, you know, being a Minnesota guy was like going, man, they had other coaches that had better records than Woog and the talent he had, but he went for a different style of player. He went for the small, fast guys. And I'm not sure that that was uh, during that era worked out real well. And it was great yeah. to see. Yeah. You know, and, and I think I got to do the radio or TV in 1996 for the Gophers. I was just kind of done now with Europe and I came back and I, I think it was TV, but, but I loved the 1996 Gophers. If I have it right, it would be like Brian Bonin and Rasmussen and Crowley and Treble and Hankinson's Kraft, um, Ryan Kraft. Boy, I don't know if I've ever seen, even though they didn't win, they beat Michigan Hanley in a, in a Thanksgiving thing in Milwaukee, and they lost to him in the final game or semifinal game in the national t- tournament. But the golf, that was, to me, the best goal for hockey team I'd ever seen talent-wise, skill-wise. And uh, they were hands down the best team in the nation. And I, I just, I don't know why they didn't win it or what happened, but I, you know, I felt bad for them. But, uh, Geez, they were good. They were amazing. Well, when Very you get good. to a oh, one, and, look, one and done, it's, you know. Yeah, anything can happen. Yeah, yep. you're right. Anything can so, happen. So, yeah. Well, let's go, into, let's go into your NHL career for a bit. Um, you were drafted in what would be now the, the first round, but you were a second-round pick. I'm very disappointed when I, I looked at this and saw that uh, the North Stars had a chance to take you, and they didn't. And the team that probably should be kicking themselves the most 
would be the Montreal Canadiens because they had multiple opportunities to take you and and they didn't. And yeah. You ended up you ended up going to uh, Detroit with the 22nd overall pick, one behind a Steve Clippingdale, who the Los Angeles Kings took, and you had quite the career. What was it like when you got drafted into the show? Well, it's very interesting because I was playing for Herbie, you know, and you're 18, 19 years old, and Ron Caron was coach, uh, scouting for Montreal. I think he went to St. Louis Blues later, but the two teams that were I thought I'd be drafted by and that were always talking to me or the coach Herbie Brooks about me was Montreal and Chicago Blackhawks. But they had a golden rule, Doug, where they would not take an American college player until he had played four years at the at the university level. They believe that since they didn't play juniors and play a 70, 60, 70 game schedule, and when we played a 40 game schedule, you know what I mean? They they had some other players before me, American college players like Nyrop and and uh, some of these other players that had gone into the pros, but they were after they had played four years. They were essentially 22 year old NHL rookies, not 20 year old. Okay, and so sure. also also during my junior year, I got. Uh, or my sophomore year, I got cross-checked in the back. I hit a guy against the boards. Guy came in, charged me, and cross-checked me in the lower back and cracked a couple of vertebrae. And I don't know if they let you even play nowadays, but they would lace me up with like a corset or a girdle with metal braces on the back uh, while I healed. You couldn't really set it in a cast. You'd, third and fourth lumbar were cracked. Dr. Nagabods, the University of Minnesota doctor, you know, did the uh, – x-rays and they had specialists looking at it so i i played when the year we won it i still i had to lace up with the girdle the whole year and i was playing in you know some pain and discomfort and it was not easy but that got out and that's when i dropped from the first round to the second round i mean not to make excuses but i was pretty highly rated in the first round and when you get a bad back in hockey like that you know they kind of you know, drop you like a hot potato <laughs> you know what i mean well and they, there was, there's a whole bunch of teams that uh, could live to regret that. There was only one defenseman, I think, that played more games than you. And there's a certain guy by the name of Randy Carlisle uh, who played for the Jets yeah. and played quite yep. a bit. He had 1,055. Pittsburgh, had, too, I think. Pittsburgh Penguins, yep. yeah. And the Jets, yep. yeah. And yep. you scored more goals. Other than there were three other people in that draft ahead of you that scored more goals, and they were all forwards. Well, I'm sorry, one one got yeah. drafted after you, Kent, Kent Nielsen. So I'd say you know it's pretty yeah. impressive. And, and he was older, point, yeah. Yeah, at one point in time, you were the highest scoring U.S.-born defenseman in NHL history until was it Phil Housley that came along and and beat some of your records? Well, Chelios, you know, came along. Housley came along. Um, oh, Brian Leach came along. You know, I mean, obviously these are great players and uh, have no problem with that. But at the time, you know, it was a different style, different, uh, not many Americans. There was Americans in the league. I'm not going to say I was the only one. There were Steve Jensen and, oh, Gary Sargent, you know, and, you know, there was Robbie Fatorik. He uh, was in WHA, jumped back to the NHL, and Mark Howe, of course. But, yeah, you know, I, I, I got to be honest with you, it was just – I, I, if I have to tell you one thing, and I love Detroit, I love the people, fond memories, but 
the, you know, some one of the prominent Detroit business guys said, you know, read the fish rots from the head down. And he says, until you guys get good management and coaching, you have some great young talent and players and you either trade them or you don't develop them or they just don't know how to handle them. And I, I played 10 years in Detroit and I had more coaches than I had years in Detroit. And I probably had three or four general managers. And the, the old joke was we used to take three team pictures a year because we had so many players you know, coming in and out of there. You know what I mean? And you're not going to go very far you know, building what you need to build as a family. Because when I got traded to, when I got to play for the Islanders a little bit and the Edmonton Oilers a little bit and the, and the Bruins when we went to the Stanley Cup Finals against Edmonton, the year that the power and the lights went out in the old garden. Big difference about just camaraderie, family, uh, work ethic. I mean, just, you know, some leaders. You know, we we had, when we had some good young guys, we just, Sometimes they were traded away. You know, when you come in at 20 years old and you're traded away at 23 or 24, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? So No. When they're first-round, second-round picks. You, unfortunately, you didn't get the time when Mr. Illich owned the team. Uh, is they, They've been great customers. I, you know, he was just feeling his way. Yeah, it was Bruce Norris, and Illich did come in, and we did make the playoffs, you know, and it, it, was, a, it was a change. It was, it was a, for a change for the good, but – he didn't kind of find his way because he was a baseball guy. You know, he loved him dearly, the family, and he was the greatest. And he put everything into it, and he treated it like a king and one of the best owners there ever was. But he was a baseball guy, and it took him a while to find, you know, his his guy that, you know, I, you know, you, you can't argue whether you like Scotty Bowman or not, wherever he's been, and you look at his track record, I don't care if he was a coach or GM. If the, he was a coach and the GM was above him, usually the GM did well to listen to him. You know what I mean? So, oh yeah, uh, Montreal, St. Louis, but you go Montreal, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and then he helped when Chicago started percolating with Taze and Kane. You go, geez, this is a good young team, exciting. And you look up, it's Bowman's son is the GM, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's Scotty sitting over to the side up in the crow's nest, <laughs> and he was he helped build that team. So, and they gave him rings. So, yeah, and, and you know, God bless his son, Scotty's son, but. I know who was, you know, doing a lot of the help there. So, yeah. So, did you get to play in both buildings in Detroit, uh, both the Olympia oh, yeah. and the Joe? Oh yeah. Yeah. And yep. Yep. For sure. What was it like playing in the old building in the Olympia? The old building is one of the best sheets of ice you'll ever ever skate on. The the when and I was down there once or twice in the summer. And went in there, and the cement slab that went under the arena or the, the the boards and the rink, it was kind of a dark cement and shiny, and didn't have one crack in the whole. Whoever laid that cement didn't have one crack in the whole thing. It was just amazing, amazing sheet of cement, and the ice was amazing. The 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 bleachers were right over the edges of the glass on the second level. It was kind of an oval rink, you know, not a big rink, not a huge rink. It was, I think, regulation, but not like small like the Boston Garden in Buffalo, you know, back then. But uh, great arena, and uh, I just loved that time when I broke in with them and the players I got to play with and against. And uh, I guess I'm really, really lucky. You know, I didn't win a Stanley Cup. I went to the finals, but I, I played with and against, you know, some historic, famous players and Bobby Orr to Bobby Hull to Gordy Howe to Guy Lafleur and you know just go on and on and on. It was just Marcel Dion and the French Connection line, 
Gilbert Perot, Marcel Dion, Gilbert Perot, Ricky Martin, and Rainy Robert. Every every you know it's really funny. Every team back then had that. The Triple Crown line was Marcel Dion, Charlie Simmer, Dave Taylor. Then you had Lafleur, Shutt, and Lemaire. You had these lines, you guys, that were amazing. You know, you didn't want to go out against them. You know what I mean? Uh, Bobby Clark had Reggie Leach and McLeish. You know, Boston had a, a good one. I think McNabb and Middleton wow. and Barry Peters, Peterson or Best something like maybe. that. And, oh, then you had Daryl Sittler and Tiger Williams and Lanny McDonald on a line. And, uh, you know, it was, Pittsburgh had... I think they had, this is, I'm not even talking Mario Lemieux's line or Gretzky's lines. This is before that even, you know, but then you came in, you had Howard Chuck and uh, his group and then Lemieux and his wingers and uh, Gretzky and his wingers. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. You got traded by the Red Wings to the Bruins. How, how was that for you going out to Boston? Somebody always said when you play, you the team you get drafted by and you play, whether it's five years, six years, and I was there 10 years, when you, if you get traded and the first night you're in that hotel room in that new city, that's when it hits you. And it was, it hit you like a ton of bricks. I felt like, uh, I felt like your family, I felt like your family dog and you just dropped me off in the desert somewhere and left me. You know what I mean? It just, it was weird. It was really, really strange because, you know, Detroit was my home and my team and I was drafted. And I was there 10 years and, uh, it, you know, it, it, it left, you know, after took, you know, after a few weeks or a month, it, it left, but that all by yourself in the hotel room. And everybody said that it hits you and you just, and I don't know if it did for everybody, but sure. A lot of guys I talked to, it's, it's kind of the curse that it, it's a weird deal, but it, uh, it was very interesting to experience that, especially when you were told it was going to happen, you know? So, yeah, a, a big part of your life you left in Detroit and having to, to go on. But I, I think I'm going to assume the, the Bruins organization treated you pretty well while you were out there. Yeah, they, yeah, they did. They treated me great. And I, like I said, Ricky Middleton and Cam Neely and, you know, Ray Bork was there. Uh, who's They had, uh, then the, Craig Janney was a young guy, and O'Dwyer was a young guy, and Bobby Joyce was a young guy. Jay Miller was on the team. He was kind of one of the tough guys, and uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough, good team. You know, I, I don't think we maybe had the obviously we didn't have the depth Edmonton or the goaltending, or we didn't have the the, the total skill they had. We had Kenny Linsman, we had Casper Crowder. You know, we, we you know Sweeney. We, we we had a very good team, and we beat I think Edmonton four times out of the four games during the year, and then we lost to them in the finals. But yeah, it was you know we weren't the Edmonton Oilers, but uh, you know what? We had a good year. It was a, it was a it was a good experience. So your last well full season maybe eighty eight eighty nine had to be a bit of a tough year playing for three different teams. Um, what went down that year? Well, I had an auto accident basically when I was still with the Bruins and I had played out my option year and I was T-boned in a Suburban and my arm was pinned under the Suburban was on its rolled over on its top, you know, the roof. And uh, anyways, crushed nerves. They weren't severed and had, it was three months without feeling in my left arm or lifting it, you know, trying to get blood flow and waiting for the nerves that were crushed and kind of deadened in a three-inch spot. 
and nerves grow about an inch a month, they say. So had some wonderful doctors, Dr. Fraser Eels and Dr. Alan Van Beek, arterial and nerve guys, and my median and ulnar nerves in my left arm were dead and squished and flattened. And so it was a long rehab deal. It started happening in June, and I didn't start to play with the Bruins till December. And then we went to the Stanley Cup final. So it was a rough year. Then I separated my shoulder one of the last games of the year and was getting shot up with Novocaine in the in the shoulder while trying to play. So, you, you know, it, it just sometimes it's just not meant to be. You know what I mean? Played good, but it was just one of those things. And that last year, I uh, wasn't, you know, I was kind of played out in my I didn't have a contract. And Glenn Sather says, come on up and play with us because they had made that trade for coffee for some Joe's Chris Joseph or something from Pittsburgh or something. And then coffee didn't want to go and they didn't offer him the amount of money. And he sat that year out, but I went up to training, just missed training camp. So I went up to Edmonton. They were going to skate, get me into shape. And I played 10 games and had 10 points. And I'll always consider it a real honor that when I was come time to sign with Edmonton, they wanted to try that Joseph. And I remember Mark Messier and Kevin Lowe going into Sather saying, no, we, we want to. We want Reed. We want to keep Reed. And Glenn Sather said, "No, we got. I want. I traded this coffee for Joseph, and we got a. He was a young first-round pick for Pittsburgh, and we want him and try him out. And you know, Edmonton really, their payroll thing was always kind of troubling up there. I think. But uh, anyways, the, long and short of it was Bill Torrey, the classy guy that he was, said, "I want you." So I went from Edmonton. Uh, down to uh, Long Island. I was supposed to go to Minnesota, and a tr- uh, Jack Ferrer and Pierre Paget were coaching and GM, and they promised. To, so I drove all the way home from Edmonton, and I got there. Well, I'm sorry, we we traded for somebody else. So Bill Torrey says, no problem, come out here, and I went there. And then at the trade deadline, he says, Bill, Bill Torrey says, me, Reed, you're not going to believe it, but they offered me all these draft picks and their players or whatever for you. And so he says, you know, I know you want to go home and play, and so it was a weird year, really strange year. Um, yeah. But that happens to a lot of guys, you know, at that age back then, you know. So. Well, then you had one game at Buffalo the following season, and then you went over to Europe to finish out your career. What was the what was it well, like playing over in Europe? I, I loved it. I always thought, you know, try had something to do with my arm injury, and. Uh, I had played over there with Herbie in the University of Minnesota, and and I and I just thought there was a guy in Canada says you can make good money, and you know I I was offered coaching jobs in the minors and the NHL, you know, for the minors, and or I could have played in the minors and gone back up again, but I just I don't know what it was, just something I wanted to try to do and experience, you know what I mean, and uh, and so I did. I took off and played five seasons over in Italy and made a lot of friends and had a great time and. Uh, Nice way to kind of just finish out your career. Um, probably could have maybe plugged back in again. I don't know. You just never know. But I suppose they figured that when you're 32, 33, 34, you're done back then. And then not more than probably five or six years later, that, you know, guys were playing way longer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Chelios it was kind of a stereotype yeah. that destroyed, you know. Yeah. Chelios played till he was dang near 50, didn't he? He was. Yeah. He was, and I. And I played, I really had felt best shape of, you know, I played, I was snow skiing and playing hockey in Italy, playing 40 minutes a game and could have come back and played very easily, you know, so. In, in your time in the NHL, what were your favorite buildings to play in? Well, Montreal, I, their ice was kind of chippy, but I just, the building itself was, the history in the building was great. I love Chicago Stadium. 
Pittsburgh had great ice along with the Met. Olympia, Pittsburgh in the winter, the old Igloo had good ice, you know, but the Met Sports Center had that slippery, they had great ice. So, I, you know, coming home, you always friends and family, it's hard to concentrate. So that was kind of tough. But I would say I love, you know, I love Chicago Stadium in Montreal. And then, uh, and then after that, I would say for some reason I had – Two hat tricks now. I, Pittsburgh was a good building to me. I don't know what it was, but I always had some really good games, and there was good ice. So, in anyway. the zone. And what what would be your favorite cities that uh, you got to play in? If they were whether in Chicago, the U.S. Chicago, in the U.S. Chicago, Boston, New York were always fun to play in. Um, Boston's hard to get around traffic wise, but the you know. Chicago, yeah, for Chicago and Montreal, and then Boston. L.A. was always a nice place to go and warm. You know, Vancouver was fun to see. You know what I mean? But as far as the buildings and the atmosphere, I, I'd say, uh, you know, and after our our rink, Detroit was great. But I'm I'm just saying, the old Olympia was, you know, my favorite. But you know, when you're talking anything but your own building, I would have to say Chicago and Montreal. Great, great. Have you had any Zamboni experiences? Or have you uh, been a celebrity driver of one of our <laughs> you'd, machines? You'd have to, you had to ask. So I'm a guy that spent his whole life on ice and skates. I've never sharpened a pair of skates, and I've never driven a Zamboni. <laughs> well, that's something we're going to have to arrange. I've driven motorcycles. <laughs> Go ahead. That we're we're going to have to arrange for you to get on one of our machines. I think that would be a lot of fun. You let me know when you're ready, I've and I'll make it happen for you. 40 and 50 foot yachts, and cigarette boats, and motorcycles, and race cars, and snowmobiles, and and uh, jet skis, and boats, you know, ski boats, and we ski all our lives. But I've just never driven a Zamboni. I've even drove forklifts and uh, bobcats. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, stuff like that, but but not a. Not a Zamboni, so. Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get uh, get you to deal with that. We talked a little bit about your dad. Can you fill us in a little about about your family? I was talking to Dennis Hextall, who uh, I didn't realize until I had the chat with him, and we're gonna do a podcast with him next week. Um, you roomed with him for a while. He took you in, and uh, yeah, I he took could... my, he took me under his wing. Yeah, he did. Okay, he did. And he's a godfather well, you know, he... to your son. Is that correct? Yeah, and I'm a godfather to his son. Okay. And uh yeah, and then he's got a son named Reed. Okay. And uh but when I when they picked me up, when I played, I got thrown out of that game up in Houghton my junior year at Michigan Tech. And we bust home and then uh I met Alex Delvecchio with Ron Simon, Simon my agent in downtown Minneapolis and I signed Monday morning and played Monday. It was a rare Monday night game against the North Stars and we tied 2-2 and after the game I was going to go home, you know, get packed, you know, because I had signs. I said, no, no, you're getting on the plane with just the clothes on my back and my hockey gear. I had to get on the plane, and Hexital took me home to his house. Him and his wife were there and and uh, stayed with Dennis for about a week, and then I moved in with some younger guys on the team, other guys on the team, you know, after that. But he took me in. I was yep, for sure, and we've been oh, good that, friends forever, so. That's good. And and what about you with the uh, – with how many kids do you have, and and what are they up to these days? I have a daughter Shelby who's 39, and my son, and she works for Capella University downtown Minneapolis. And of course, they're not downtown yet, but they were. I mean, they're working out of home, and and she's got a 15-year-old. My granddaughter's 15, and made the Minnetonka varsity swim team, 
and my grandson Marlon's three, and uh, her husband's a chef from Ecuador, and a wonderful chef, and so I got two great grandkids, and my son Ian is uh, living, working for Motorola in Ch downtown Chicago, of all places, but it's kind of been a war zone for him, an eye-opener, but he's, they're handheld radio devices for the firemen and police on three or four states on East Coast. He's kind of their support, sales and support. So um, so that's what they're doing. So they're doing real well, real good. Very, very proud of them. So well, That's nice. awesome. And you, you like to get up and go fishing. I, I saw that uh, uh, the Brainerd area, what lake are you on that you go up there and fish? I'm on Upper Gull. I'm connected to Gull. We're up in one of the little lakes up there, you know, Roy Niswa spider upper gull and then we come past down through the channel past bar harbor and zorbas and then you got gull but um we're up there a lot so and i go over to malax and fit boat i trailer over to malax once in a while and i go on the mississippi river by camp ripley and you know lum park right in brainerd and so kind of been a woman lake i've, I've been i made the rounds up there pretty good it's it's a lot of fun we're chasing smallmouth and largemouth usually in crappies uh, I'm not a big walleye guy, but we sure run into a lot of walleyes, you know, in the river and these lakes at certain times, especially the spring and the fall, you know, sure. for artificial. We never use a live bait. That's the no. that's our cardinal rule for 30 years or whatever. We've never used live baits for crappies, bass, walleyes, nothing. So. Okay. We do okay. I, get, I yeah. get back every year for opener. We've been doing it for, I think it's close to 50 years, uh, and we're on Leech Lake is where we go, but... Uh, I use the yellow jig and and the minnow, and it's uh, oh it, yeah, it's been pretty oh, pretty great. successful for me. That's that's a way to go, and it is especially I think for for walleye. You know what I mean? Or you know? Oh yeah. But you got releases come back to the small largemouth, smallmouth, crappies, uh, muskies. You know they're that's really good lake for all those too. Yeah, I'm gonna wrap this up. I'm a bit of a foodie, and it's it's great to hear that uh, you've got a son-in-law who's a chef. Maybe I can. Uh, get a couple of his uh, recipes if uh, you're willing to share those with me. Um, in your time yeah, in Boston, Redstone, huh? he, he was a, ahead, he was a chef at Redstone and a few other places, and now he's out in Otsego, the uh, Rockwoods out there okay. by you know as you come into Elk River on 101 on the left yep. hand side. So yeah. So so your time in Boston, did you ever go to Santapio's uh, right near the airport for a gar double garlic pizza and some barbecue? I don't think I made it there. I was down at fours a lot, <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. Then a lot of clam. Then a lot of clam chowder at the Union or whatever it is. The Union is it the Union Oyster House or whatever? Yeah. Um, the Marriott had a nice restaurant in there. We used to have steak or swordfish, but yeah, you could never, you couldn't run out of good restaurants in in Boston. That was fun, but no. um, I just heard they just shut down fours. Oh, really? That's that's too bad. That's too yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> How about the Kowloon? Did you ever get up there for some of their world famous Chinese food? Yeah, I, I got there with Ricky Ricky Middleton up Route yeah. One or whatever it is. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one uh, not too far from Hockey Town over the and, Tobin Bridge. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the memory's coming back. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you got a good memory. It's just short. Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so you be in a Minneapolis, uh, gentlemen. This is the question that uh, you might have been asked before, but where would you go for a Juicy Lucy? Is it Matt's or is it 5.8? You know, for me, it's Matt's. I like 5.8 a lot. 
But Matt's on Cedar. Well, they're both on Cedar, but Matt's the one down there by, was it 30? 38th, I think. 38th. Yep. Well, it's actually yep. 38th. Not 38th. It would be 30, 36th, maybe, or 34th. I don't know. But it's it's closer to Lake Street, Matt's. Yep. Yeah. I would go to Matt's yeah. for, okay. for, that, for the original. That's me. Well, there, yeah. there's, I think, a little bit more grease on their grill than there is at the 5.8. So it probably makes it, <laughs> yeah. makes it taste a little it's, bit better. Yeah, it's, it's tighter seating. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's crowded. Well, yeah. Reed, uh, please do me a favor and say hi to your father for me. Uh, I remember him. Yep, I will. A, He's in the VA. As a yep, great gentleman. He's in the VA and he turned 93 September really? 3rd. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. And he's hanging that's in awesome. there. Yeah, That's great. Hanging in there. Well, he's just down the street okay. from my mom. My mom's still over on 53rd and 41st. And um, I, I remember your dad. I can picture him sitting on the counter, uh, bar stools up at Skylanes when uh, the senior bowlers would uh, come there and visit. <laughs> yeah. and just, just a great <laughs> gentleman. And he raised a great kid in, in you. And I, I want to thank you very much for your time today. It's It's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it very great. much. We want to thank okay. everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day. <laughs>